Welcome to the Happy Millennials Podcast, the podcast where millennials come to get all the tools, news, tips, and breakthroughs to live a happier and more fulfilling life. I'm your host, Kyle Mackey. Let's get this show started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It's Kyle Mackey here. It's been a little while. I'm sorry I uh, fell off the ball a little bit on my couple weeks away in Ontario, but I'm finally back in Vancouver and I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. So hopefully we'll get back into the two episodes a week of the Happy Millennial Podcast. Today is episode 23. Episode 23. We are well on our way to just keeping this podcast moving in a great direction. And over the course of next month, we're going to have a couple more coaching sessions. I have a couple lined up. So we've got that coming your way, plus a bunch of new tips and stories and exciting things to talk about throughout this next month. So definitely keep on checking back in. It should be more regular Mondays and Thursdays for your podcast. Come check it out. As well, the webinars that I put on will be starting up most likely next week, but it potentially might be the week after that. So check it out, secret.happymillennialclub.com. That's secret.happymillennialclub.com to see when the next webinar is and check that out. And as well, if you haven't checked it out already, we had a coaching call, I believe episode 20, that was with James. And he had a coaching session live on the podcast. If you yourself would like to be like James and having a coaching call of your own, which will help you move yourself forward from where you are to where you want to go and possibly help you live that happier, more fulfilling life that you're looking for, then sign up by sending me an email at podcast at happymillennialclub.com. That's podcast at happymillennialclub.com. Tell me why you want to be coach, what you're trying to accomplish, and why you think coaching would help you get there. And I would be more than happy to have you on this coaching call so that way we can help you move yourself forward, but that other people can learn through the things that you're going through yourself. So that way our community as a whole can become happier altogether. But let's jump straight into today's podcast with a happy story of the day. And today, I'm calling this one, We Finish Together. I don't know about how many of you are into track and field. I'm guessing there are a few of you since I know a couple of people listening to this I ran track and field with back in the day. I was really into track and field. I ran some pretty fast times. I went to school in the States on scholarship, but I didn't really enjoy it. So I ended up coming back to Canada. I I'd qualified for nationals, almost qualified for worlds back in high school, but didn't happen. I missed it by just a little bit and I never seemed to get faster. It was like I hit my peak for certain events, super, super young, but I love track and field. And the cool thing about track and field is that runners, it's like a nice little tight community that if you're part of it, you know, everybody who runs around you is quite welcoming and wants you to be part of everything that's going on, which is really cool to go be part of. So if you see all those marathons, as much as marathons are crazy and ridiculous and tons of people not training properly for them, but still running these things anyways, the running community is a great community to be part of. And this 
level of community and compassion for one another was shown just this past weekend at the opening night of the World Championships of Athletics in Doha. I don't know how many of you have tuned into this at all. You should be, especially if you're Canadian, because we've got some really good Canadian athletes. We had the first 5K medalist for a male athlete in athletics history, I'm pretty sure. I don't think it's ever happened before. Generally speaking, it's dominated by those Kenyans and Ethiopians. But in third place, we had Muhammad Ahmed based out, I think, St. Catharines, Ontario. He brought home the bronze medal, which is an incredible accomplishment. I know people are like, oh, if you don't get the gold, if you don't get first place, it's not a, a good accomplishment. But trust me, this is absolutely mind-boggling. He also ran under 13 minutes for 5K this year, set the Canadian record. Really impressive stuff. If you're not into the long distance, there was Andre de Grasse. He brought home two medals already. He brought home the bronze in the 100 meter. He brought home the silver in the 200 meter. Also impressive at performances. He's been struggling with injuries for the past two years after this amazing burst onto the scenes the last year that Usain Bolt was running in 2016. And so he was struggling the last two years and he got back into it. He won some medals. He represented Canada well. We're doing really well this year, and if you can't feel it from me already, I love athletics. But if we go back to the opening night in the heats for the 5,000, so no medals on the line. It's just people trying to qualify for the finals. Well, if you don't know how the world championships work, countries can always submit one individual into every single event. Most countries don't. But they're allowed to. So even if, you know, they haven't hit qualifying standards, every country is allowed to submit one person in each event. There are some exceptions, but generally speaking, you're allowed to submit one person, whether they hit qualifying standards or not. If one person hits qualifying standards, you can't submit another person just because you want to have a second. But if nobody qualifies, you're allowed to send somebody. In Canada, They've got stricter rules. They don't just send people if you don't qualify, but some countries do. And so in the first heat, I think it was, the end, tail end of the race, you had these two runners. You had one guy from, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but Guinea-Bissau, that's a country, and Aruba. I got that one right. I could go into a little breakout of the song right now with like Aruba. Bahama. Okay, I'm going to stop before I just sound horrible on my podcast with some very uncomfortable singing. But we got two athletes. They're there because their country was allowed to, you know, enter one person from each of their country. So they are at the end of the pack. They're not there to win the race. They're not there to qualify to the next round. They're there to finish. And so the guy from Guinea-Bissau, his name's I'm going to pronounce this wrong as well, but if you just, I think what this guy did is pretty cool, so sorry that I'm destroying your name, but kudos to you. It's uh, Brema Sankar Dabo. Well, he was running around. He's on his last lap. He's going to finish, my guess he would have finished around 17 minutes if, if he didn't do what he was about to do. But there's another guy, the guy from Aruba, Jonathan Busby, thank you for having an easier name for me. Well, 
he was struggling. This was a really tough thing for him to do to finish this 5K, especially because he was probably giving his absolute all. Now I know far off from like what Muhammad Ahmed was doing around that 13 minute mark there back in the 17, 18 minute mark, but Jonathan was struggling and he was like going to collapse. He might've already collapsed. It didn't show it in the video and they were far enough back that you didn't really see that angle of the camera. But when they get to about 150 meters left in the race, nobody left is on the track. You see Dabo of the one country I'm not going to pronounce anymore, not Aruba. He's carrying Jonathan Busby of Aruba down the track. He's helping him get to the finish line because the whole thing about being at the world championship for people like them, it's not about winning that medal. It's about finishing the race. To say that you've been here, you've been at the highest stage, and you've given it your all, you're probably the best runner in your country, and you're here to finish that race. So how much of a letdown would it be if you did not actually get to cross that finish line? Well, Debo realized that Busby wanted to get across the line, and he made sure it happened. So he slowed himself way down and helped carry him. He was like limping and falling over, but he was carrying him the whole way down the track to make sure that they both finished that race. It's incredible. You're giving up your own time to make it so that way somebody else finishes that race. Like, I don't think I would have been able to do that back in the day when I was a runner. I would have wanted to try to get the best time possible and be like, oh, it sucks that you're struggling, but I'd want to finish. So for this guy to step aside and put his own, you know, desire to do the best he can aside he took that the heart that he had and made that what got this other guy to the finish line and you could see how happy they were at the finish line that he helped him through they both accomplished this big goal this task but then there's this other video that was posted onto instagram from the iaaf and it's essentially the two of them meeting up afterwards and Busby says to Dabo, you're the biggest man with the biggest heart, which just shows you how much that actually meant to Busby to be helped all the way to the finish line. Again, they weren't racing for the medals. They were racing to finish the race and to just represent their country. So thumbs up, round of applause to Dabo. Great job. If you haven't been watching the World Championships of Athletics, we still got an extra couple days. So Check it out. Support your country. If you're Canadian, support the Canadians. If you're American, support the Americans. If you are any other country and you happen to be listening to this, just support your country because it's a great sport. And it's what I grew up doing, running, running like crazy. I'm actually trying to get back into running. I don't think I'll ever get onto that world stage like that, but I'm trying to get back into running because it's a great community to be a part of. But let's get into the main chunk of today's podcast, which is is going to be sort of a review or a reflection on a, let's say more of a reflection on a documentary that I recently watched on Netflix. And if you haven't watched this documentary, I highly encourage you to. You can turn off this podcast and watch it first if you'd like, or you can just listen to this and then watch it anyways, because I'm not going to really say everything about it. I'm just going to explain how 
it connects with everything that I've been trying to teach people through my live webinars and through things that I say on the podcast because it has an extremely powerful message. And I'm not just saying that because it aligns up really well with everything that I've been saying, but it says it all through a really interesting point of view, which is what I think makes this so interesting. For all this time, I've been looking at happiness through my own experiences, but getting to witness this from another person who actually had this all begin from the very same place is really quite eye-opening. It makes me realize that the path that I'm going down to try to help people to live a happier life is legit. Like I already knew it was, but this just backs it up that much more. So I want to go into this documentary and and sort of make those connections on what the guy in this podcast is trying to explain to the audience and why he believes by doing these certain things, the world or us as individuals can be much happier in general. So the documentary that I'm talking about is The Pursuit. It is on Netflix. Most of you probably have it, so check it out. But what The Pursuit is about, it's about pursuing happiness, but from the viewpoint of being a capitalist or from capitalism. And at first it's sort of like, well, this is weird. I, the documentary initially went on and I'm like, I, I didn't even know what I was truly watching. I just, something sounded interesting about it. Talked about happiness. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll check it out. And when I get in and it starts talking about capitalism, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I really think this is for me. I, watching stuff that involves like politics and different, you know, social systems. I, I didn't know if it was for me. I have always believed that I really like the socialism type output on, output on life. Outlook. Struggled there for a second. But this made me realize that the system that we have might actually be working to make a lot of people in Western civilization much happier. And it actually might be making an impact in the developing world as well. So this is where the documentary begins. For those of you who have listened to my live webinar, my journey on where I realized what happiness is all about, it started in India on a, in a slums tour. And the slums that I visited is called Dharavi. And this documentary starts in the exact same place. So the guy in this documentary, I should probably get his name, but he visited Dharavi back before it turned into what I saw because apparently before 91, Dharavi was just an absolute mess or India in general. But in, in 91, they had some incredible changes that occurred. And the country started to actually make progress. They started to cease in development. And people were starting to actually live better quality lives than they'd ever lived before. Now, from my viewpoint when I went there, I've always said that it was some of the worst conditions I had ever seen. 
But what this documentary goes into is it shows briefly where they were before, where they were before that 91, 1991, when everything started to turn around. And it shows you how now they're rapidly making progress. They're rapidly developing. And although the development that you see from a Western perspective is not to the same extent as what you would want in our own life, it's huge monumental change that's going on on a daily basis. From 91, when they were in the absolute worst conditions that they were, to how I saw them about, you know, six to eight years ago, and to where they are today, they're making massive strides. Now, you might be asking, like, what are these massive strides that they're making? Well, it's because of, or at least in this viewpoint of this documentary, he describes that the reason why the people in Dharavi, who have very little in comparison to Western standards, are so happy is the fact that they have seen where they've come from and where they're going and how quickly and incredibly they're progressing to this much more positive place to live. See, they're finally living in a society where they are constantly growing their business. A lot of the people there have their own little businesses. Now, their businesses might only be, you know, gathering different metals and recycling and then selling those metals to somebody else so they can make it into some sort of apparatus or just shape it so it can be shipped off somewhere. It's like made into sheets and then sent to somebody else to turn into bowls. But everybody has a purpose. But from these little businesses, it makes it so they can have a viable life. And yes, it is not at the same standards of what we have here in the Western world. But they're constantly seeing some sort of progress each and every day. If you take one year to the next, they're having these little upgrades. They're now being able to send their children to better schools so that way they're going to be able to continue to move up and move up and move up in society and live a better quality of life down the road. They see this progress. They see this growth. And one of the things that I always promote in my webinar is that we as human beings, we need progress. We need growth. Growth, we need to advance. We need to better ourselves. When you start to feel like you're stuck and there's nowhere you can go, that's when you start to feel unhappy with what is going on. Now, when I was in Dharavi, my viewpoint on this was that I felt these people were happy because they were trying to progress and try to be the best they can, live the best life possible so that way when they come back in their next life, because in their religious systems that they have there, they do believe in reincarnation. But if they work hard and they keep progressing, which brings you happiness, that they will come back in another life and live at one of the higher caste systems, which also is backed up by other stuff that they talk about in this documentary, but in a different city. But essentially, we need to feel like we have a purpose. So I do believe it's actually a combination of these two things. I think this documentary is dead on. I think it does make sense that these people are constantly seeing this rapid 
growth, this rapid progress. It makes a link to back in like New York City, back when people were first coming over from Europe. Apparently, it was a horrible place to live, like very bad conditions. Obviously, I am not 300 years old, so I have no clue what the conditions were like back in you know the 17 or 1600s, whenever they first came over to North America. But apparently, the living conditions weren't good. So people came there in hopes that, you know, things, they were going to live the happier life. But at first, it was a struggle. But when they were seeing how much progress they were making each and every year, they started to feel a lot happier with how things were going. So that's how this documentary starts. And I just found it so interesting that my whole quest to help people live a happier life and for myself to live a happier life started in this same location that this individual who created this documentary, I finally found his name. His name is uh, Arthur C. Brooks. Um, He too had this whole desire to help people um, find happiness as well. It started from this exact same point. He just came across it from a different perspective. So really interesting but again all started from that same point same point now the next part on his journey this might not have been the exact spot he went to next but the next thing that stood out to me was actually his visit to denmark so one of the other things that i really emphasize in finding happiness in your life is connection or love or passion but essentially it's either doing things that you love or surrounding yourself with people you love or just having connection with other people the moment you start to feel disconnected the moment you start to feel like you don't have that strong knit group around you you're going to start to feel a little bit lost and maybe slightly depressed and you just won't feel that level of happiness that you're looking for that level of joy now in denmark there it views everything from a socialist uh socialism because that is the general model of which they have there. It's not technically a social uh, socialism there. It's like a social democratic system. But there, they have what seems to be one of the strongest senses of community. Now, what you won't realize in Denmark, and I haven't been there, but from this documentary, it made it really apparent that Denmark, specifically in Copenhagen, is very middle class or middle upper class. There is not a lot of rich people. There is also not a lot of poor people. There is essentially one upper middle class. There, people don't try to be different. With myself, you know, I would promote going after your dreams. There, they might not promote that, but they promote community. So people are often really involved in things that are going on in their community, such as in this documentary, it shows people being part of this morning choir. And every day before work, a community gets together in the library, a weirdest place possible to go singing. It's like library is supposed to be where you are quiet, yet you have this big group of people just yelling out singing that Aruba Bahama. Again, I won't go any further because I know you don't want to hear me sing. That's not what this podcast is about. You don't listen to podcasts for singing. Listen for words, people talking, spreading good messages. 
but not me singing. So I'm going to save you your ears bleeding and continue on. But this is what I thought was really cool about his visit in Copenhagen. Is that he really shows that socialism makes people happy because it makes you feel connected. And I think that is such an important thing that we can all benefit from. Now, he does go into why socialism, you know, has its problems and stuff, but he never really turns down the idea that socialism doesn't make people happy per se, because it does give you one of the key elements to an extremely high extent. And the one thing that I've never quite figured out, and I do think that if you have one of these three keys that I talk about, if you have it at a really high level, that you will still feel fairly happy. If you have all three things at a high level, that's great. But if you have this really great sense of community and you love the people that are around you, then you probably will feel quite happy in that environment. Now, what Arthur talks about, now that I know his name, is that because people don't try to, you know, in Denmark, you don't have a lot of people trying to be super wealthy. They don't try to break away from the norms. Everybody tries to blend in. The less known you are, the better there. You want to be part of society the way it was designed to be. And they're okay with that. They're giving away like 55% of their money for taxes in this uh, social democratic system. But they're happy with that because they see the returns of it all. And because it makes the whole community as a whole build up to this higher level, it makes them all happy. Now, you might be thinking, well, we don't live in a socialism society. We, we live in a democratic society. And that's exactly right, unless you're listening to this from Denmark. That one idea that you need that community is a really strong thing to emphasize because often in a democratic society, we sometimes feel like we're not part of any community because we're all trying to better ourselves. We're all trying to, you know, move ourselves ahead. So unless you're part of like a community, like, you know, like a religious group or you're in, you know, school at a certain time you're part of a sports team, something like that that makes you feel like you're part of something, you often feel like you're lost. You're, you're going after your hopes and dreams, which is incredible. I think everybody should. But without that sense of community, we often feel like we're lost. We don't have that love in our life. So surrounding yourself with a strong community is essential. And this documentary shows it, but through the views of capitalism. And it's quite interesting. So check it out. But coming into North America, this is where it gets into the final concept of three things that I think are key to making people happy. And it starts off this part in a little coal town, Inzek, Kentucky. So in Inzek, uh, they used to be a bumpin' bustling city where people were making good money because they were all working in the coal mines. They were, you know, loving life. They were making 
money for their family. Their families were able to, you know, have good food on the table. They were maybe able to take some vacations, even though I know Americans don't take a lot of vacation. Apparently, there's a study out there that says that most Americans don't leave their neighboring state. It's like 70% of Americans don't. But, you know, they can take trips in their own state and in their neighboring states. Whatever it is, they can get the toys that they want to have, the pools in the backyard, the the four-wheelers, the dirt bikes, whatever it is that makes them happy out in Inzec, Kentucky. But something happened here in Inzec. As you all know, except for recently, because Donald Trump made some changes and apparently it's sort of coming back a bit, but I don't think it'll last. Coal is not a very utilized resource anymore. It's not good for the environment. It's not good for those mining it. It's not the most efficient energy source. So it's not really used all that much anymore. Well, you would think because they live in the States, you know, things would be good for them. But they live in a capitalistic society. And socialism here, you think, would be good. Because like in in Copenhagen... If somebody's down on their luck, you're going to be taken care of. You don't have to worry about things. Eventually, you'll find your way back into everything. And your life is going to be still at that high level of standards. Well, in the States, you have a welfare system, which doesn't allow people to really thrive and live the quality of life that they want to. You know, they have not good selection of food that they can go from because if not, it's too expensive, whether they have food stamps in the area or it's just the bare minimum amount of money that they need to survive. That's all that they provide in a capitalistic society such as the States. But when Arthur went and actually talked with these individuals who were living in Inzec, it wasn't the fact that they were on the welfare system that made them unhappy. It was that when the coal mines went away, so did their purpose. They felt lost. They felt like they had no reason to live anymore. When these towns and cities were bustling and coal was needed and everybody had jobs, you know, the work that they were doing was fueling the nation, fueling Americans so that they could have the energy to power their houses, power whatever coal power, steam engine trains. I don't really know if that exists really anymore, maybe in very select locations. I don't really know what coal powers anymore because it is an old energy source, but I know it powered a lot of things, big steamships. But they felt like they had a purpose. That's the ultimate thing. And the moment that those coal places shut down, they were put on this welfare system that didn't give them the money that they could, you know, get themselves back into society in a different place because they didn't have the money to move. They didn't have the money to go get an education. They didn't have the money to, you know, even barely take care of their family. So they sort of just stuck in that town with nothing to do except for just take these welfare checks and do whatever they can do with it. And that's what made them so unhappy. It wasn't the fact that they don't have a social system that you know, it's going to just pay them better. They don't want to just get a better paycheck. That's not what they want. They want to be reintegrated into society and have a purpose. Actually make this world a better place to live. And this was all brought to home in a shelter 
in New York, New York. So one of the other places that they view is this shelter, but that has a different approach in the sense that a lot of shelters will let you come in, have your food, have a place to sleep, and then you go out the next day. Well, this shelter was all about building people's self-worth, making it so they actually felt like they had a purpose. So anybody who was part of this uh, shelter had to, you know, give back. Essentially, they, they were given some sort of job that was actually meaningful to their whole community in this shelter because everybody that was there sort of worked together. And you sort of worked your way up the ranks. And so maybe to start, you might, you know, help clean the community if there's no jobs actually on the site. And then the step up from there might be, you know, being one of the cooks in the shelter. And then you move up from there. It might be some sort of management position in the shelter. But people actually had a purpose. It was to make the people in this shelter live the best quality of life possible. And they knew that if they worked hard, they could keep moving up and make even a bigger impact in that community. So they had something to work for. They had a purpose. They were making a positive impact in society. And for the first time in their life, these people that were once homeless and had nothing for themselves whatsoever at that time were able to find that level of worth inside themselves that would actually bring that that joy and excitement, that happiness that they desired. So this is what this whole documentary was about. But it looked at it all through capitalism. Now, why is capitalism a good thing? Well, capitalism gives us the ability to do all this sort of on our own. First off, it gives you the ability to progress because if you lived in um, like a communism or socialism or uh, an environment that you were sort of stuck at a certain level, it's hard to feel like you can grow, you can prosper, you can live ever a better quality of life. It might be always a good life, but it doesn't keep moving forward. It also might feel as if you don't have purpose because in a social, in socialism or communism, you know, you might have a job that you're required to do, but if you don't do the job, things are still going to go on because they've set up the system in a way that, you know, it might not be the most efficient. They might have, more people needed than possible to do those jobs and things will still go on. And capitalism from this documentary standpoint also was able to fuel people that purpose that they desire. So the only thing that I will say is that capitalism might be missing a little bit on the communities aspect of things but i think if you focus on you know trying to better society then you get this sense of community uh, community so it did make this one quote that stood out to me a bit and so a lot of people would say like right now in the states they're in a state of populism that's how donald trump got elected because he's a popular figure and apparently populism comes from the feeling of, of being needed. 
So since these people are feeling like they're lacking connection from others, they're feeling like they don't have necessarily that community, like the people that are in Inzec, you know, their community is starting to really struggle. So I'm sure that's causing clashes with different people that are around and they feel like they're just dwindling away. That's when they have these reforms and they, they want these social benefits, but really they just want purpose. And it's because they're not feeling needed that they elect these certain officials that they try to get them to give some sort of benefit that's going to get themselves having that feeling of being needed once again. So, so it's an incredible documentary. It's a really interesting view because it comes from a different viewpoint than I would have ever approached things. And maybe I did it no justice talking about it for this past half hour, but I would highly recommend checking it out. It backs up the three thoughts that I have in the keys to finding happiness in your life. I think you need to have growth. You need to be able to advance. You need to progress in a positive direction. You don't want to be moving back. You don't want to be feeling stagnant because if you're not moving forward, if you're not growing, you're dying. And that is not something that you ever want to be feeling. The reason why these people in India might be feeling as happy as they are could be from this very uh, specific point. I do think it has a bit to do with the religion as well, because I do think that believing that you're going to come back and live a higher quality of life your next time, if you give it your all this time, that's got to be a little bit of motivation and believing it's something bigger than yourself is something that I always talk about, which aligns with having that purpose. So I think there are multiple things there in India, I also think they have a great sense of community because how can you not feel connected with your neighbors when they're one foot apart from you? So I think Devar, uh, Dharavi in India is a great example of what true happiness is all about. And in Copenhagen, again, it's known to be one of the happiest countries in the world. And they have the probably closest and tight-knit community as far as a country goes and cities go that you can find on this planet. Now I know they're not a capitalistic society and it, it does a, a transition, this documentary, which will link it to capitalism better if you want to check it out and see why it thinks capitalism is so great. But it is cool to see how one of the happiest societies in the world all comes down to connection. I think we need connection. We need friends. We need family. We need to do things we love and we need to connect with others that love things that we love too. And in a country like Copenhagen, where everybody is trying to be not standoutish, they're trying to blend in and be all an individual. As good or bad as that might sound, I think it does lead to a great sense of happiness. And lastly, we need to have purpose. We need to feel like we are bringing value to society. And in Zek and in New York, New York, you know, it talks about these aspects. They're not feeling like they're contributing society in Inzec because coal is not being used anymore. And no sort of system has been put into place to allow these people to really get themselves back into society and contribute because the welfare system is not set up in a way that actually works. So if capitalism made some changes in that regards, you know, maybe it would be a really good system to help these people out. Then in New York, New York, this shelter where these people had a job and they were actually feeling like they weren't just being led into the shelter to get free food and, you know, shelter. 
they were feeling like they were part of a community that was actually helping each other and allowing them to live the greatest life possible. They had purpose for the first time in their lives. So it's an incredible documentary, and I highly recommend you check it out. It's The Pursuit on Netflix. You should definitely give it a watch. I enjoyed it. I didn't know I was going to. I had no clue that it was going to link so closely with everything I talk about. Again, it's from a completely different standpoint. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you won't. Myself, I've always considered myself to be more on a social democratic sort of view in life because I do think we should have good systems there to help, you know, bring up the people that are in unfortunate situations. But this documentary makes some good points. Again, I'm not going to talk about capitalism all this doc, uh, this podcast because that's not what this podcast is about, but it makes some really good points on what brings people happiness, and I think it's definitely worth a watch. So that's it for the happiness topic of the day. Let's get into get to know the host. Again, if you ever want to send me a question saying you want me to answer, send me an email at support at no at podcast at happymillennialclub.com. That's podcast at happymillennialclub.com. I'd love to answer your question instead of one that comes off a random question generator. So if you ever have a question, send it on out. But the question we got today starting this off is if you could choose your last meal, what would it be? A little bit more a bit of a question because now I have to think about dying. I don't really want to think about dying. I want to think about living. But if I could choose my last meal, assuming that I haven't had this meal by the time my last meal comes, I really want to go to this restaurant in New York. No, not in New York. In Washington, D.C. It's called Minibar. I used to volunteer for this organization, Hobie. The World Leadership Congress took place there and... The highest position I ever had was like an assistant director, but the directors always got to go out to this really fancy restaurant. The um, head director of the whole operations team he had a good career and he would treat everybody to this really nice night out. It's a small place. I think you could reserve up to eight seats and maybe it fit only eight people or maybe it fit 16, but they would let you reserve eight seats and it was a really small place. When you reserved it, you had to pay for your meal up front. And it was a 30-course meal. 30-course, just like one or two bite dishes, but really flavorful, presented in these really incredible um, plates. And it just sounds like the most amazing night out of food. So if that could be my last meal, 30 courses, not in like a gluttonous type of way where you're just trying to get all the food down in the world, but more so just enjoying the 30 or 60 bites that you have. That just sounds like an incredible last meal. So I don't want a last meal anytime soon, but if I don't have a chance to go to mini bar in Washington, DC, if it's my last meal and I know I can have it, that would be it. Next question on the random question generator. What is your biggest concern about the future? What is my biggest concern about the future? That's a tough question. I would say if I'm looking like really long future, it's that I want to live a really long time. And I would love it if one day I have, you know, the money to put towards some research that can help extend life. Because... I want to see this world in, 
you know, 200, 500, 1,000 years. That would be incredible. I know in today's ways in life, it's not possible, but there are a lot of studies and research out there that say that we might be able to live to 150, but if I could have any impact on making it so I could live longer, that'd be great. I'm not really too concerned about it. This is a really morbid second topic as well. It's talking about I could be dying here. I don't want to die. Um, but I would say that's one of my concerns. I know that one of the issues with this, if I was going to live a long time, I do think that if they have these health systems that are set up, you're going to have to have a lot of money to make this happen. It's not going to be open to everyone, unfortunately. As great as it would be to have the whole world living, you know, 150 or indefinitely, I don't think the world can sustain this. So unless they have a ways of, you know, like uploading our conscious mind or we move over to Mars or something like that, I don't think it's realistic. So I know it's going to come down to the people who have money. But yeah, I want to live a long time. So my concern would be, how can I make that happen? And help others people because I feel like the world, we should have more life. Life is important and I want to live as much of it as I can. And the last question, what is the longest you've gone without sleep? I don't really know for sure, but I do know that when I actually went to India for the, when I went to, did like my slums tour and I did my 11 months backpacking, I didn't really sleep on that flight at all. I was too excited and I use these pills that I highly recommend everybody do. They're natural remedies. There's nothing in it. That's just like caffeine or anything like that, but it just makes you some, for some reason adjust to time change a lot better. It's called no jet lag for long flights. Highly recommend it. Read the box. Don't just take it because I said, take it, make your own decision. Don't quote me on this one or quote me on the fact that I just quoted myself saying it's based off your decisions, but I took these pills, stayed up, enjoyed my flight, got there, got there at like 5 a.m. It was New Year's Eve, and I stayed up until like 2 a.m. that day. So I woke up at like 8 a.m. on the day I was flying out, flew out at night, flew 17 hours, got up the next morning off the plane, didn't really sleep. And went until about, I think, 2 or 3 in the morning. So it was like, I want to say it was 37 hours, if I remember correctly, which is a pretty long time to be up. And I'm sure I dozed out like for a little bit on the plane here or there. But for the most time on the plane, I was up. And when I got to uh, India, I got to the hostel. People had great ideas for the day. And I'm like, I ain't sleeping. I'm going to start enjoying my trip. So, yeah, probably like. 37 or maybe 47 hours probably more like 47 hours 37 doesn't seem like enough but yeah i've gone pretty long time but yeah that's about what i'd say so that's it for today i know it's been a while it's been about two weeks since the last podcast came out again we're gonna have them coming back regularly so every monday thursday so check it out and if you haven't checked out the free webinar that i put on yet check it out it'll be on within the next two weeks we're gonna be going back to thursdays so hopefully that works for you and i'd love to have you at the webinar and if you ever do sign up for the webinar and you have any complications just send me an email at support at happy and i'll get things sorted out for you and again if you want a free coaching call live on the happy millennial podcast send me an email at podcast at happy tell me what you're trying to accomplish why you think coaching would help you 
and uh, we'll set up a time to get you on this podcast. But for now, have yourself an incredible day, a great weekend, and I look forward to talking with you again next week. Have a great day, everybody. 